We are going to jump into our lesson today, part four of this series that we have been doing. And so, uh, what have we looked at so far? Part one was the dream, kind of the dreamy boat on the ocean type thing. Uh, part one was the dream. This is like the vision, this is the ideas that, you know, maybe God puts in our heads. Great ideas, sometimes terrifying, but man, so filled with hope and, and vision. And then what comes next? The struggle. And this is the fight. This is all the, the suffering and the stuff that doesn't feel good. And if, we had, if this was part of the dream, sometimes we would have been like, oh gosh, never mind. I don't want to do any of this. But the struggle then produces growth in our, uh, in our lives, interpersonally. That's what we looked at last week was the growth. And then, have you ever heard of the phrase, hindsight is 2020? Indeed. Well, that's what happens. Because after all of this happens, after the, the amazing like, ideas, after all the hard stuff, after the personal and interpersonal and spiritual growth, then sometimes it all makes sense. And we get it. And we're like, oh, that's why all this stuff went down. And we get understanding. And that's what we're going to look at today. And um, there's a lot of ways to do this. I'm going to pick this one. And it's weird, so you got to hang in there with me. Um, but we're going to talk about the idea of understanding. We're going to look at it from a couple different angles. Hopefully one of them hits you in the heart just right. But I want to start with a very strange story. Probably one of the stranger stories I'll tell in introducing a sermon. We all know like back in the day, doctors uh, would actually pres prescribe some pretty crazy stuff. Have you ever seen any of those signs like doctors? Doctors used to prescribe uh, smoking to pregnant women to kind of calm their nerves and, you know, like this would be great. And that, was a, that is a real thing. We, you may have seen this, that uh, they used to put cocaine in like tooth, toothache medicine. And you could get, you didn't even have the prescription to buy this. You could just go to the store and buy cocaine tooth drops. I mean, they didn't take cocaine out of Coca-Cola until way later than I thought they would. But, so there's lots of stories of like crazy things that you used to be able to buy that now you're like, I can't believe we used to do that. Well, have I got another one for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about radium water. Radium water, this is a basically like a, a, like a ceramic jug that you could buy and it would sit on your counter and you would pour water into the top of it and yet in the middle of this was like a concrete core that was irradiated and it would leach radioactivity into the water and then you would drink the water. Radium water was a big thing and radium which is an actual element, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing, it became like this big marketing thing. And so people were putting radium in all kinds of products. Here's an example. Radium is restoring health to thousands. Guys, this is a, a woman who's wearing a radium disc on, around her waist and it's pressed up against her spine, 
and she just wears it around during the day. And it actually says, I think it says here, you can wear it on, turn it around, sleep on it. So it's on your tummy. And uh, yeah, and it says, um, what does it say here? Thousands have written us that it has healed them of all of these things. Rheumatism, high blood pressure, constipation, <laughs> asthma, other respiratory disorders, heart, liver, kidney, bladder trouble. No matter what you have tried or what your trouble may be, try the radioactive solar pad. And this was a real thing. Now, luckily, some of the stuff they sold didn't actually have radium in it. It was it's the whole radioactive nuclear thing became like a, a, a phrase, a buzzword. And it wasn't real. Like it, some of you probably have in your wallet, you probably have a platinum card. There's no platinum in that card. It's just a word that we add to things and we're like, ooh, that means it's special. Well, they did that with radium sometimes. But like here is a, a line of cosmetics called Thoradia. And it was, they said, oh, if you, if you wear these, it's going to like make you like glow. Thank the Lord that some people were too poor to actually be able to afford radioactive makeup. Um, but this was a thing. I don't know if, did anyone ever see the Atomic Energy Lab? It was a, a science kit that you could buy as a kid. And this was, now some of these didn't actually have like radioactive material. But the story goes that some of them did and that you could conduct experiments and stuff. Here is, on the other side, this is gonna, this is crazy, is a, 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 li, a, like a display of things that you could buy that were actually had radium in them. Like radium glasses that you would just put up against your eyes and they were radioactive and they, they, they were marketed as they would like cure any blindness or vision loss. Um, gloves, radioactive gloves, radioactive things you would put on your body, radio, radium suppositories. Yes, it is. Um, but the number one thing, the number one thing that the radium, like, boom, really took off was radium water. Uh, let me, yeah, we'll, st we'll, talk, we'll talk about that first. So this is a guy, this is a golfer by the name of Eben Byers. He was, um, he was a golf champion, but he actually kind of got rich doing steel. He was like a steel magnet. And he was, he was a rich guy. He also won a lot of golf games. And he hurt himself. I think he hurt his arm. And so he went to his doctor, and his doctor started prescribing radium water. And it was this. Radithor was the actual brand name of the, the water he was drinking. And he guessed uh, that he drank probably around 1,400 of these little shots of radioactive water over the, over the course of his treatment. And then, and it all seemed to be great. When, when you first started, everyone said, like, man, I, I'm cured. And, and honestly... We don't know why they thought they were cured because there was no cure to this, but maybe the placebo effect or something, but all of them were like, I feel so much better. And Eben said that. He hurt his arm, he started drinking radium water and his arm stopped hurting and he's like, 
this is amazing. He, he actually got better at golf, and things, things seemed to be turning around for him until it got bad. And I mean, it got bad fast for Evan. Uh, his, his jaw just fell off of his skull. And he lost both the upper and lower part of his jaw. His skull started, like, deteriorating, like, breaking apart. Um, he, died of, he died one of the worst deaths. Like, he was interviewed before his death. And it was very gr- gruesome. The guy came and interviewed him at his house because he couldn't leave the house. And then he died. And it was his death that people were like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And then, if you've, if you've heard of radium, you may have heard of the radium girls. This is a, a much more popular, uh, popular story. They actually, I think they turned it into a play on Broadway and a, a novel. And, but these girls worked at, in Westbury, Connecticut, there was like a Westbury watch company or clock company. And the girls were hired to paint radioactive paint on the numbers so that if you had a clock, the numbers would glow in the dark. And it's true. They would put radium in paint and it would become glow-in-the-dark paint. But not glow-in-the-dark paint like you know. Kids, today you have boring glow-in-the-dark paint that you need to like charge up with light and then it'll glow for a while. This stuff would just glow all the time because it was glowing, because it was radioactive. And they thought it was amazing. So they're going to put, they're going to start painting the numbers on clocks so that when you wake up in the night, you can see it. And they told these girls, we need girls with, with small hands, nimble fingers, so they can paint the numbers. And don't be sloppy. Don't be sloppy with your numbers. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to take the paintbrush and we want you to go, we want you to point the brush in your mouth with your lips. And then you can paint it. And this was their job. And uh, there were like five famous women that sued the company and actually won a settlement. But over 50 women died from this. And, and we don't even, we can't even count how many. Like Eben, in his, uh, in his autopsy, his cause of death wasn't, wasn't listed as radiation poisoning. It was the breakdown of actually all the different things that happened to him. So we don't know how many people died from ingesting radioactive material and these girls even like would paint their fingernails with radioactive material and like show it off at parties and stuff and if you want more crazy stories of radioactive things not being used wisely Jen could tell you some but this is a very real thing they all died and then uh and then a guy wrote an article and you're like dude where is this going but this is um Hugo. Hugo, is that Gernsbeck? Yeah. He wrote this article in Everyday Science and Mechanics. 1932 is when this article came out. And he was trying to just put out there, guys, I don't think this is a very good idea. And so he wrote this. But he had to be careful because it was so popular that he felt like, man, I don't know how to explain this. So this is what he said. Here's a close-up. I'm going to jump right into the middle of that paragraph. He said, It becomes necessary to enlighten the public at large with the true facts of radium. 
This article is intended to do so by giving actual scientific information on the subject as it is known today. Since a popular article should be understood by everybody, I have tried to keep out of this all technicalities that would confuse the layman and give only such information as anyone can readily understand. And so this is his dilemma. How do you explain to the general populace that loves this stuff? They're rubbing it on themselves, they're drinking it, they're like putting it all over their bodies, and it's killing them. And he goes, how do I, how do I say this in a way that you will actually change? Because the problem is, it's a very complicated thing. Now, to you sitting here today, you might be like, it's not very complicated. Like, I get it. Guys, I wish I could explain. It was so, so confusing. Because you had advertisements in every magazine saying how good it was everywhere. And yet, it was killing people. Now, what the heck does this have anything to do spiritually? I, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's say you magically could go back in time. And you, could, you, you visited someone's house and they had a radium water jug sitting on the kitchen counter and you go don't you dare drink that stuff that stuff will kill you and the sweet old lady she's like no it's fine I love it there's no problems with it and uh I, you know look here's 10,000 doctors said it was all good you're like that's an advertisement that's not a scientific journal you're like no you know it cures this and this and this you're like that's not real don't believe any of that now here's the question, to what lengths would you go to keep someone from, from drinking this stuff? Would you sit down and try to like reason everything out and talk it out and you know, show them all the details? Because I struggle, I would be like, no, sorry, I'm actually gonna take this and I would steal it from their house. No, I'm gonna take it and don't fight me on this because I'll fight you. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm saving you by stealing this from your house. I would err on the side of strict obedience, even if they didn't know what I was talking about. I would say, God, you might not understand it, and I don't have time for you to understand it, but I'm going to take this thing away from you. Imagine if you could tell the girls to stop putting that thing in their mouth. Like, it's killing you. But would you care about people's understanding or would you try to just get them to stop doing the thing that's killing them? And so, spiritually, this is us all the time. And this is God with us. God does that with us all the time. Could he, you know, even when you like read in the Old Testament, like Leviticus, all the rules. Sometimes, like those rules make sense to us now. Because we can see like, oh yeah, you shouldn't just touch dead bodies and then deliver babies. Like that's not good. But could God have like reasoned with them and told them all the reasons why and introduced germ theory to them? And he could have, but he said, hey, don't do this. And they did it. But guess what? This is what blows my mind. After this article was written, you think, man, everybody now knows it's bad, right? So we shouldn't drink this stuff, right? This is an ad that was run later. 
We don't care. We don't care who tells you that radioactive water is not beneficial to the human system. And it's a whole advertisement. Anyone making that statement is doing so through ignorance or knowingly telling you an untruth. And so the advertisers just doubled down on all the craziness. Like, hey, we don't care if they say it's bad. We're telling you it's not bad. This is good for you. Keep drinking it. Keep giving us money. And so then more people died for years. But guys, so spiritually, this is us. We're the people that say, hey, we don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. When someone says, hey, what you're doing is damaging. You shouldn't do that. We say, thank you for your concern. I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it. And so this whole story of like radioactive water is really just a way to look at the way that we deal with sin in our lives. Because it's poison. It's killing us. And sometimes we don't care if it's killing us because we want to keep doing it. So here's where this is going to go. There's a couple, a couple ways I want to look at this. The first off is I want to talk about the importance of sequence. Like what comes first and what comes second? Because if you were to go to your great-great-grandma's house and she's drinking radioactive water and you're like, you just smash the thing. She's like, hey, whoa, slow down. You could have like talked to me. You could have explained it. And you're like, nope, I don't care. I'm just going to smash the thing. You can learn later why it's bad for you. But you're, you're stopping drinking that stuff right now. In the same way, throughout the Bible we see this. Even our, our talk about Joseph, Joseph goes through the whole thing and then at the end is when it all makes sense. God could have told Joseph everything up front. But, and I've said this many times, like if that was me, I would have said, nah, I'm good. He waited until the end to give Joseph the understanding, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. But here's what's crazy. He does that a couple other times in the Bible, too. He lets people go through the situation, and then at the end, tells them what it all meant. And here's, my, here's one of my favorite examples. I got two examples for you, okay? The first one is the disciples. This is in Luke 24. So we know that the disciples were with Jesus all through his ministry, garden, death, all of that. Then, the end of Luke, this is what he said. Uh, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now, some people think, like, is this a miraculous, like, Oh, opening of the mind, maybe. But wouldn't it, have, wouldn't it be so much easier to open their minds, like, earlier? Why, why did that happen? Why did Jesus wait until the end to explain what this was? And we, we read it now, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's, he was telling them all along. They're so dense. They're so dumb. But he saved this interaction until after everything was done. Here's another example from Job. 
I'm going to skip down, uh, down here. Right in the middle there. Surely I spoke. This is Job confessing this. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you. You shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job goes through a lot of crazy stuff. And then his friends come and say even more crazy stuff. And then he yells at God and God yells at him. And Job goes, okay, I'm, I, I'm dumb. There are things that are too wonderful for me to know. I did not understand. And guys, the, the question is, that's a really humble statement. Is there, can we be that humble to say to God, God, there are things that I cannot understand. That are too wonderful for me to understand. So I'm just going to trust that you're doing stuff even though I don't have a clue. Or do we need buy-in? And that's my question for you guys. Do you need buy-in for obedience? What do I mean by that? Well, we live in a society today where we don't like to do things because someone tells us to do them. We want to make our own choices, and we want those to be informed choices. So if you have information, you better tell me so I can make my own choice. We need all the facts. We need all the analysis. We need everything made clear before I decide, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? This choice is mine. I will decide the best course of action for my life. If I agree with you, I might obey. God, that's what we say. And yet, guys, that is not lordship. That is, the, that is the dictionary definition of you being the lord of your own life. God is your, like, assistant who prepares the papers to give to you to decide so that you can decide if you want to do it or not. Lordship looks like what Job said. I'm dumb. I'm not going to know, so I'm just going to do what you tell me to do, God. And as an American, we're like, I hate that. Yep, I get it. But it's this idea of, I need all the information. So let me ask you this. If you had all the information, would you make the right decisions? And some of you are like, well, of course I would. Guys, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And I've, had, I've been very frank about this, about like my, my relationship with Jen and the times in the past of unfaithfulness and like the, the way we hurt each other and the way I hurt her. And like, if, if only there was someone that came along and said, hey, Ben, don't do that. Then I would not have done it. No. All the guys were like, yeah, that's dumb. There were plenty of people capable of telling me that's wrong. And I knew it myself. But guess what? I didn't, I didn't sin, and I never have, and I still don't. I, I don't sin because I don't have enough information. That's so rare. If you can find that, good for you, but that's so rare that your sin is because you didn't have enough information. 
usually you have plenty of information, but you choose to sin anyway. Your lack of obedience is just that, a lack of obedience. It is not about, oh, someone didn't explain it to me well enough, or I didn't understand it. If only I'd understand it, I definitely wouldn't have done that. And that gets us to this second point. Sin clouds our understanding. The things that we do, they affect us deep down in a way that sometimes we, don't, we can't even figure out. But here's what Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4. He says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And I've been there. This has literally described my life many times. No sensitivity means I, I have no sensitivity to spiritual truths. I can't make it out. It, it's, it's like it's hidden from me. And it's not because I didn't have the information. It's because sin hardened my heart and I chose to like ignore spiritual truths. I'm really good, and some of you guys are really good at blurring the line between right and wrong. And sometimes it's based on your mood, and sometimes it's based on how you're feeling that day, and sometimes it's based on, you can, you can jump through all kinds of hoops. And I've seen very spiritual people do very unspiritual things, and they can convince themselves this is totally justified. But you should know what it looks like, or what it feels like when your heart is getting hard. When your heart is hardened, when you feel like, man, something's happening in, in me. And if this continues, it's going to mess me up. And I'm going to do some really bad things. And so what is that? What is the thing that is hardening your heart? God desperately wants to reveal things to you. He does want to give you understanding. He doesn't want to leave you in the dark forever. But here's my, here's my warning. God may be trying to reveal something in your heart right now, and it's like bouncing off of it. You are not in a position to understand the things that God is doing because sin has hardened your heart. There, re, there came a point in all of those people's lives with the radium water and the radiation poisoning where they were like, man, I should stop, and it's too late. The effects are, are so deeply rooted that they can't, they can't fix it anymore. And yet, sometimes we have this like very cavalier attitude towards sin. Like, oh, I can indulge, and then I'll say sorry. And we'll act like that's fine, and yet we don't understand what it's done deep down in us. And that repenting may take a little more, a little more work to, to really repent. The other thing is, you should have people in your life that know what it looks like when your heart is hard. This is my advice to husbands and wives. Like, when, when your spouse is getting really funky, you should be able to be like, hey, you're not right. Something is not right. You're losing sensitivity. You're being deceived. Your heart is starting to harden. 
And so here's, here's the lesson. So what is the lesson? And then um, Kevin is actually going to do our, our communion today, and I really want you guys to give him your attention. So here's the lesson. At the end of the story of Joseph, this is what Joseph says. It becomes clear, his brothers and him, and they see each other. And if you haven't ever read the whole story of Joseph, please, please do that. But they come, years have passed now, he's saving them from this famine, and he says, I am your brother Joseph, who they thought was dead. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, Joseph probably could not fathom this at any of the points leading up to this. He probably could not imagine saying this to his brothers. Like, hey, I'm not mad at you. God did this to me, not you. It's super humble. It's super loving and compassionate. But here's the crazy thing. This actually is not very practical information. This, this revelation doesn't like, improve their lives necessarily. And sometimes the understanding in your life isn't, there isn't like a tangible value. And this is why it goes back to this like thing that we want, we want understanding that means something. Like, man, I, like we're so used to a movie ending with the, the good guy. Like we just watched um, Blue Miracle and it was about the, the Mexican fishing trip at the contest. And at the end they win. And they win because they wouldn't have made a movie about it if they didn't win. But that's like the payoff, and that's, that's how we, that's our brains are wired now, where we want like this big, yay, we, we got it, I won the lottery, or whatever, at the end of the movie. But sometimes it's just understanding, like, wow, I see my place in the world. And God is big, and he did this to me. And I think about that even with my own life. I think about when I, me moving around as a kid, uh, my parents, we, we were very nomadic. We moved around a lot. And sometimes I would ask my dad, like, I'd pick one of the cities, like New Albany, Indiana. How did we move to New Albany? And he'd be like, oh, well, here's what was happening back then. And, you know, one time they were living in Arizona, uh, not Christian. They, my dad studied the Bible, and, and then, then he wanted to do seminary, and that led them to Kansas, of all places. And then he, they, they gave him a little church there, and then, and then things happen in life. And so my grandma got sick, and they moved to Indiana. And then, you know, work. And there was a thing, like, he was telling me, I was in Indiana, and I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with books, or I wanted to work with animals. So I looked up in the phone book. But animals isn't in the phone book. Like, there's pets, and then there's zoo stuff. But animal wasn't in the phone book. So but books came first, and the first bookstore started with a B, and I called it, and I got a job there. But that, that crazy, the fact that, that he called the first bookstore 
in the phone book, and it started with B, literally shaped the whole course of my life. Like that's what took us to Cincinnati, and that's what took us to, you know, Ann Arbor, and then on and on. In fact, I moved into a house down the street from Jen's house, and I would have gone to school with her, but oddly enough, I got a job. We moved again, twenty miles south of her, so that I could get a job standing right next to her. And and I don't know if we would have worked out. But guys, the lesson is that God is God is doing things that you'll never understand. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I'm so glad my life my life worked out all crazy. It seemed chaotic at the time, but it it made sense at the end. And so here here are some lessons. Here are some lessons that I want us to take home. God is loving even when you are unloving. This is literally the story of the nation of Israel. This is a story of God throughout time. Like, people are so sinful and people are so unloving, but God is always loving. God is loving people even when we are not loving. Even when we don't love ourselves, God loves us. It's so hard for us to understand that sometimes. God is considering even when you are ignorant. God is never not thinking. God is never sitting around going like, I don't know. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Who knows? God is considering even when you are ignorant. And guys, you're ignorant a lot. I'm ignorant a lot. There's so much that we do not know. God is working for your good even when you are fighting. And some, and some, some of you may be fighting right now. Fighting other people, fighting God, fighting yourself. But God is working for your good, even when you are fighting him. God is working within his plan, even when you are flailing. Even when your life seems like it has no direction, no, you have no plan. God has a plan. He is working. And then last, God is order when all we see is disorder. And so we look at the story of Joseph and his life was chaos right up until it clicked. And he went, oh my gosh, this all makes sense to me now. Like God needed me to be here to save you. And so all that stuff that happened was all part of this plan. But here's the next step. Like what does that look for your life? What is God's plan in your life? And you're like, I don't have a clue. Exactly. You probably are not going to figure it out until after the journey. But then here's, here's my final question. When, when God's love is revealed to you and it, all, and it does make sense, are, are we going to get ready for the next journey? Like are we going to see this as the next part of life? And that my life is made up of, of lots of journeys. And it's not this one all-encompassing like revelation at the end that it all makes sense. And Nope, it's not that simple. And a lot of our journeys are going to overlap, and they're going to keep repeating. But here's what, I, here's what I can promise you. There's going to come a time in your life where you're going to go, oh, God is real, and God, God's love is making sense to me right now. Here's, the, like, you can almost set a clock to this. Something's coming with a new struggle and new growth that God has planned for you.
So sometimes the world makes sense. Sometimes the world seems like chaos. But God has us on a plan. God has us on a journey. And he's taking care of us the whole way. And so that is going to be the end of our series. I, uh, I'm so grateful that we got to uh, look at the, the life of Joseph as we do this. I pray that uh, this can spur on conversations between us, between each other. And uh, with that, I would like to invite Kevin up to do our 